Hi, Melanie here from Aviation Tours, unique itineraries for aviation enthusiasts, taking you to some of the most amazing air shows and events in the UK and Australia. They're leisurely, comfortable, fun, escorted, and to all the places you've been wanting to visit. If independent travels out of your comfort zone, or you just prefer the good company of fellow enthusiasts, on a tour taking in the best aviation, motoring and military museums, take a look at our website, aviationtoursnz.com, for more info and join us on the trip of a lifetime. Or call me for a chat on 021 076 8308. Wings Over Britain is proudly supported by the New Zealand Bomber Command Association. Telling the stories of Bomber Command and the New Zealanders who served. Wings Over Britain and the Wings Over New Zealand show greatly acknowledges the fantastic support from Peter and Carola Wheeler of the Hauraki Brewing Company. And we'd like to acknowledge the awesome support from Mel and Kev Salisbury and Aviation Tours NZ. And a huge thanks to all the others out there who kindly supported the tour and the series. Without them, the series wouldn't have been made. Vintage Aviation News is pleased to support Wings Over Britain and Wings Over New Zealand. And we'll be checking in with reports as Dave's tour progresses. Vintage Aviation News is an organization founded by a group of passionate vintage aviation enthusiasts who love to share the history and technology aviation museums preserve for the public. It's our intention to play a role in safeguarding the heritage of these beautiful machines by providing increased awareness and education through the use of internet-based digital media. Vintage Aviation News is an online news resource dedicated to warbirds, aviation museums, vintage aviation, and aviation heritage, and the many enthusiasts who wish to know more about them. The goal of this site is to provide fresh, daily news content for a large community of aviation fans who visit our page regularly. Vintage Aviation News Online can be found on your usual social media channels and at VintageAviationNews.com. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand Show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand Show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, I visited the International Bomber Command Centre in the city of Lincoln. And this episode starts outdoors, where I'm looking at the famous Spire Memorial with Dr. Dan Allen. So what is the uh, spire structure made from? It's uh, caught in steel. Um, with the, uh, the spire is 102 feet tall, which is the, the wingspan of the Lancaster. Yep. Um, 
Of course, if we'd have gone for the wingspan of the Halifax, it would have been a foot taller. Right. Um, but it is, uh, I believe, the, the tallest, tallest um, war memorial in, in the UK. Um, and at the base, the, the width is the same width as a, as a Lancaster's, uh, Lancaster's wing. Okay. Um, it's surrounded by hundreds of steel plates, also of Corten steel, with the names of all those who lost their lives flying with Bomb Command. Um, you know, so the official figures, um, 55,572, I think, um, air crew. But because the, the ethos of Bomber Command is, of the IBCC is, is inclusivity, um, we've also included all those who lost their lives flying with Bomber Command. So that includes ground personnel, it includes <coughs> WAFs, um, the odd journalists and scientists who were who were flying in um, in aircraft. So I think there's there's, uh, there's some nurses as well who were being brought back from Italy. Um, who, you know, the aircraft they were flying in crash. Um, and the the memorial walls. <coughs> are in concentric circles. Um, there's a legacy of go that goes back to how the project started when it was originally thought of by Tony Worth, who was the um, Lord Lieutenant of Lincolnshire. It was going to be the Lincolnshire Bomber Command Memorial. Yeah. Um, that changed when the University of Lincoln became involved and it became the International Bomber Command Centre. But the first phase of the memorial walls um, tell the stories and all the names of the people who flew from Lincolnshire in one and five group. <clears throat> um, and then later research, um, our, our researchers and our volunteers then added the names of those who flew from other groups, so three group, four group, six group, um, and all those who flew, you know, Yorkshire and uh, Cambridgeshire and, and East Anglia. Okay. So it is possible for anybody to look up the names of a relative who lost their lives flying with Bomb Command um, and find you know, which panel their name is on. Um, so where, the, you know, where there might be several G Smiths, we've added the last three uh, digits of their service number so right. you can find the one that is, is your family member. That's a good idea. Um, but yeah, it, you, you do have to look and work out whether you want to be in phase one or phase two, which are the, which are the walls yeah. uh, are there. Um, and also, you know, we've, we've not put any um, any decorations, any medals on there. There's, there's no rank because we're seeing everybody as, as, as equal. That's, yeah. that's the idea. That's good. Yeah. Um. Well, we're talking with Dr. Dan Allen at the uh, uh, International Bomber Command Centre at Lincoln. And um, can you tell me a little bit about your role? Um, so I am currently, I'm, I'm working as the archivist for the project. Um, I started with the IBCC just after I completed my PhD at the University of Warwick. Um, I'd studied um, the lives and emotions of Irks and WAFs in RAF Bomber Command during the Second World War. Yep. And towards the end of that, I'd started to work as a volunteer for the IBCC. Uh, and the job came up as a curator, and uh, I wasn't going to let anyone else have that job. That was my job. Right. <laughs> so I've been with the project since 2015. Um, and the first thing we had to do... Um, was just to try and save and preserve as much of this um, history and heritage as we possibly could. And that meant at the start of the project by interviewing veterans while we still could. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we're by the memorial, it's a bit breezy. It's a bit breezy, yeah. Oh. Um, and we, we thought at the start of the project back in 2015 
um, when we started training volunteers to do interviews, we thought if we recorded 300 interviews with veterans, we'd be done really well. Yeah. Um, but we've currently we've published um, over 1,200 interviews. Holy moly! Um, most of those are transcribed. Uh, they are all available on the in the archives, digital archive. Um, and yeah, we're still doing a few more every now and then. We'll find somebody, but not not so much now. That's um, great. And for the first three years of the project, all we really did was preserve these sorts of things. And they were uh, originally they were stored on hard drives at the university. Um, but when the centre opened in 2018, um, we were then able to make all these public, um, so you can you can follow the links um, and explore the archive and listen to the, the interviews and read the transcriptions. Fantastic. But we also digitise and publish more tangible heritage, so letters, diaries, logbooks, photographs. All of those are transcribed um, and described so you can find them. So we record dates, times, places, aircraft, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, my, my f first role was setting up the, the creation of this archive, um, which then fed into um, designing the exhibition, which is in the, the Chadwick Centre at the IBCC, which you can have a, you can, you can go and have a look around in a minute. Yep. Um, it was a bit tricky because we did it all in the wrong order. We was trying to make an exhibition using things in the archive before the archive actually properly existed. Yep. Um, but you know, we got there and the centre opened in 2018. Um, so the archive now contains public items. It's something like thirty thousand items in two thousand collections. Um, wow. But we're still we're still building it. We're still adding more all the time. That's right. Um, and the exhibition, it is an exhibition, it's not a museum, so um, you, you're not going to see aircraft and bits of kit, but it's all about the people and the stories, so yeah. you can listen to excerpts from the interviews um, and learn a bit about the bombing war if you don't know about it. So. Fabulous. <clears throat> um, how does all this get funded? Um, so the exhibition and um, the archive was originally funded by uh, the... National Heritage Lottery Fund, yeah. um, HLF, um, but we, we have used that money now, it was 3.1 million we had for a um, Now the archive is um, hosted and paid for by the University of Lincoln, okay. and the centre is, is you know, funding itself with you know, people paying to come and visit, yep. buying the teas and coffees, and them breakfasts and those sorts of things. Right, right, right. Well, maybe we should get out of the wind. Yeah, um, okay. But it is fantastic to see this uh, this <coughs> memorial. It's uh, it's probably the, the newest bomber command memorial in the world, I guess. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, yeah, it's obviously very popular. There's a lot of people here. So we'll move on. So the view from up here on the hill, you look across at Lincoln Cathedral. Uh, yes, so you can you can see the the city of Lincoln in the valley in between the two uh, parts of the escarpment. Lincoln Cathedral on the other side of the the dip was of course it was the it was the landmark that air crew saw when they took off from Lincolnshire, um, and it was one of the first things that they looked for when they were returning from bombing operations. So you know the spire is a sort of symbol that harks back to the to the cathedral and uh, and what it meant to the air crew. Fantastic. These 
almost ghostly figures, the, the metal cutouts of uh, Bomber Command crew. Well. So, you know, these, these represent the 53 people who lost their lives flying on Operation Chastise. So these, oh, yeah. are, these have recently been put here. They're a, a temporary exhibition. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's all, the, all the crew who were lost. So this is, represents the 53 who were lost on that operation. I... Um, I'm a little bit in two minds about it. I can see, you know, why it's very, very popular. It certainly brings people in. But um, for me, the whole ethos of the IBCC and certainly the work that we're doing with the Digital Archive, um, it's about everybody who flew and served in Bomber Command and yeah. uh, not just, you know, the, not just the poster boys. I mean, everybody knows about Dan Busters. Yeah. I'm much more keen on telling the stories of the people who are more likely to be forgotten. Um, yes. And that includes, you know, the, the people who no one really talks about very often. So the ground personnel and the ground crew and the WAFs and right. everyone else who is behind the scenes. But yeah, th this at the moment does really bring people in, and they, they do look fantastic. They do. Yeah, I, I I actually agree with you that yes, everyone needs to be remembered. Although I think you know they are pretty special people as well. They're oh. six one seven squadron oh, guys. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. But um, yeah, they were flying the same aircraft as. As, as other people, and yeah, the, the risks they were taking were exactly the same. So why not tell other people's stories as well? Exactly. Yeah. All the squadrons were available. They flew in other aircraft other than Lancasters yep. throughout the war as well. So, exactly. Yeah, we, yeah. we we try and tell those stories too. Brilliant. Yeah, there's, there's six items in the whole place. It's, it's, it's not a museum. It's an exhibition. Yes. So. On the left, as you go in, there are four introductory films that are shown, um, and you, know, you sort of go in and you come out when you've seen the, you know, the, the run of all four, um, and it explains the context of the Second World War, um, a little bit of the history of Bomber Command, and goes into the, the training a little bit, and, and crewing up, um, and then if we go around here. Um, there's, there's a timeline that runs around the outside of the room, but we sort of broke some of the rules in that rather than telling the timeline 1939 to 45, the timeline follows one bombing operation. So it's, it starts early in the morning with the planning and the fueling and the bombing up and runs around through, throughout the day and take off flying over the coast. That's clever. That's um, good. Until, yeah, they may or may not land again. Right. We do have, in this, this gallery, there are four objects, but they're all objects that have a, have a story that goes along with them. So if you press a button and listen, you can, you can hear somebody talking about Lucky Charms or their logbook. Or, right. Um, the eldest lamp, there's quite a nice story about a chap who... Uh, because they had um, issues with with a uh, with a wireless, he had to direct a whole squadron of aircraft um, back back down to earth from the control caravan at the end of the runway, and had to signal them with, with the eldest lamp, which oh, is quite right. interesting. Okay. Um, and then we have uh, screens that have got um, actors playing. Um, the parts of people who we interviewed for the archive telling yeah. their story. Yeah. So we use a lot of university drama students because they're the same age as the guys who were flying the aircraft. But the words they're speaking are taken almost verbatim from interviews. So it's people you know, we try to rather than show them as 
as you know people in their 80s and 90s it's yeah. as they were then and the idea is um, yeah, you, the, as a visitor you're looking into their eyes as they're telling the story yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have a thing in the middle of the table here in the middle of the room which we're not really meant to call a game it's an interactive experience but it's a game right. um, and each of the positions is a member of, the, of a bomber crew um, and then when there are people all around it the, the players of the game in inverted commas have to work together as a crew as a team to complete the operation okay. you know. right. and if they don't communicate and you know, pull together they, they don't make it back right. um, and then the other thing that we should really talk about that I'm really really proud of is the big animated map that shows the bombing war in Europe 39 to 45 um, this was six months work for myself and a lot of volunteers and we plotted every single bombing operation that we could find um, on both sides of the war okay. um, and it runs um, for about 10 minutes I mean it breaks lots of rules about exhibition design because people are meant to have a very short attention span um, but I have, I have been in here and I have watched people watching this map as, as the war unfolds. So what I said about the timeline, this map effectively is a timeline of the war. And it, I think it does a wonderful job. It actually makes people challenge what they think they know about the bombing war. So it's very, it's very easy and glib to say, well, they started it. But what it does show is it, it does show the, the, the scale of the bombing and how it, the intensity of the bombing increased. Um, you can just see now that yeah. the bombing campaigns just started in Italy. Italy yeah. Again, it's part of the inclusivity. We're talking about the whole bombing war in Europe rather than just what Bomber Command did. So there's the Americans um, who are involved there with the different coloured lights and the whole bomber camp, uh, the bomber offensive from uh, North Africa and Italy. With the desert air force. Yeah. And you can actually see the front line moving up Italy as the time right. goes along. Um, but I mean, a lot of people also think about the bombing war. It was the RAF and the Americans bombing Germany. Um, but the, the, the way the animation works and what it actually shows is, you know, the RAF and the Americans dropped far more tons of bombs on occupied Europe than the Luftwaffe ever did on Great Britain. Yep. So it, it shows the scale of these things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, you can see the phony war. Um, where are we now? It's coming up to February 44, so you'll start to see the build-up for um, the Normandy campaign in D-Day. And then, yeah, it will go absolutely crazy when it gets to June. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just if the, the people who, who watch this, it really does make, make people think about, you know, what they actually know about, about the bombing war. Yeah. So, so there's, there's a flash... Which is a raid, but then yeah. it stays a dot. A dot states to show where the where, where bombs were, and then right. at the end you can see it's you know it's like the map's got measles. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm I'm aware that there are there are gaps in the data because we only had six months to put this together, um, and quite often, yeah, Normandy's yeah Normandy's going now. Quite often we would have data for where the Allies intended to bomb, yes. but not necessarily where the bombs actually fell. Right. And correspondingly, you know, the records that we were able to find in the time that we had to do the research kind of showed where the bombs fell in UK rather than where the Germans probably intended to bomb. So we've now got the V-weapon campaign starting up, saying there's more flashes around London and the east yep. coast of the UK. Yep. Um, 
but you can also see some of the inaccuracies as well, so that you can notice there are there are some targets that were hit in um, in in Ireland, which of course was neutral, because yep. um, the Germans thought they were I don't know where they thought they were bombing the coast of of mainland Britain, um, and there's also a couple of dots in Switzerland where there were you know navigational errors and right. Right. bombs were dropped. In the early um, timeline, does it have the French? Raids as well. Uh, um, some of them, yeah. So we we tended to focus just because of time constraints and what the map would actually look at look like. We focused on um, strategic bombing and heavy bombing. Rather, yeah. So the work of two group and two TAF aren't on there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I believe the French were the first to actually bomb Berlin. Uh, I'm not sure. Don't know. I have, Take your word that, for it. I have read that, but I, I don't know if it's true. So, um, way back, you know, before yeah. I, the France fell. Um, so we're coming up to the end of the war now, and there'll, there'll be a. Oh, so we're now we're showing Operation Manor, which was the first humanitarian operation the RF did. Yep, dropping food to the yeah. starving. Ten days. Um, and that's 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 it. That's wow. the end of the war. And then there'll be a little headline talking about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then, then this runs again. You just see that massive patch of, of, of orange yellow colour around London that yeah. just got plastered, didn't it? Yeah. And I guess the other one is Berlin. The really big. Gosh, it's, it's yes. very very good visual. Yeah, and, and then it starts again. All right. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So we have around the room in other places, there are screens that show some photographs on the loops and there are um, sort of 1940s Bakelite telephones that if, if you pick them up and dial a number, each, each number is a, another person telling their, their story, a 90 second clip of them yeah. talking about um, what they did. Um, so this is the first gallery which tells a story of the bombing war from a military perspective. And um, there's one, you know, say we're trying to be inclusive. So there's, there's a Jamaican uh, driver, an MT driver, who's just finished telling his story on the screen over there. Yeah. Uh, also on that screen, there's a, there's a Luftwaffe night fighter pilot who's telling about his experiences shooting down a bomb. Okay. Um, oh, it just, it's just gone to a guy who's, um, who was in the guinea pig club and he's got his, you know, he was, he was burned. So yes. We're trying to tell lots of different stories from lots of different perspectives. The idea behind this part of the exhibition came up with the term an orchestra of voices. So sometimes they're contradictory, but it's all people telling about the bombing war from their perspective. Right. Excellent. Um, upstairs there are two other galleries. One tells a story of the bombing war from home front perspective yeah. and the final one um, is how the bombing war has been remembered over the last 70, 80 years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. I'm, I'm Peter Jones. Uh, I'm the collections archivist at the International Bomber Command Centre at Cannock in Lincoln. And this is the, the uh, archive and education office. So we have a few members of staff and lots of volunteers, um, a very expensive digital scanner in the corner. Yep. And how it works is you know, people bring their collections in here, they are digitised and then sent, the files are sent to me and my team at the University of Lincoln and we publish them eventually. Yes. Yeah. Right. We become the victim of our own success really, mm. which yeah. is nice. <laughs> it is nice, but I, yeah, I can see... 
but exactly it's, what you're but saying. it's frustrating yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a few of the collections that are in at the moment. Alan and Johnny are working on the collection on the table there, which is a lot of letters. Okay. Um, this is a, a young man who flew with 617 Squadron. Um, Operation Chastise, he had to turn back. Okay, yep. But sadly, he was c killed on his next op. Right. Right. This is the stuff that's pending at the moment. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. Hi, um, guys. Such a resource you build it up, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's a labour of love for everybody. Yeah, this, this is all happening too late, mm. really, but it, it's happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the people that, that, you know, for families of those that didn't come back, they finally got it. Yeah. The, the recognition of their loved ones and those that did come back, they were treated so badly by, by the government. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I think that's, and with the interviews, that, that it was sort of cathartic, wasn't it, for them, that they had a, mm. a non-judgmental ear. Yeah. My, my colleague interviewed a WAF um, fairly early on in the project, and she sort of said, where have you been? I've waited 80 years to tell you this story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can understand that sort of frustration. Yeah. yeah. But at least they they then had the opportunity to to tell their story yeah. and, and share it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But we never know, you know, here and at and at the university, we never know what's coming in. I wish we had something like this in New Zealand as well. Um, you know, there's there's a few of us that have been going around and trying to get as many stories as we can recorded. But yeah, we have. There's nothing really official. No, we had. Um, Three interviewers in New Zealand. Yeah, Miriam's so. Miriam's back in the UK. Yeah, she's here. Yeah. Um, so we have done. Yes, I, I'm aware of a few um, people there that will be doing yeah. stuff for you. So which is great. I've just I've just sent an email to to New Zealand because somebody's just contacted me regarding material in New Zealand. So I've sent our scanning guidelines out to them. Great. And hopefully it will come bouncing back with, with imagery that can be, can be published on the, <coughs> on the archive to tell your guys and girls' stories. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think we had was it three and a half thousand New Zealanders in Bomber Command. Mm -hmm. And um, we had ten, ten and a half thousand New Zealanders served in the RAF. Yeah. And of them, uh, one third didn't come home. So, yeah. yeah, yes, but you know, as I say, we we never know what's what's going to come in. I mean, behind Dan there, there's quite a unique item: the uh, saxophone. Yeah. Oh wow. So um, this was given to a POW in Stanley Bluff Three uh, by the Red Cross. Oh wow. Um, or, you know, he, he was a saxophone player, um, and this was a better quality saxophone than, than the one he had back home. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he made sure he kept it, and when he got back, you know, he took it with him, I think, on the on the bit of the long march that he did. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. So, oh, on the long march, he took this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100 miles, um, and that is heavy, seriously heavy. Yeah. 
and he continued to play it. Um, he died in 2015. Yeah. Gosh. Amazing. And, and, and Dan's blown blown a few notes yeah. on it. My my son-in-law has actually played this, and we've recorded it. So um, it's going to go in the exhibition. We think. Lovely. When it is there, you'll be able to listen yeah. to what it actually sounds like as well. The exhibition case is in the process of being manufactured. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Yeah. And there's photos of it in the archive, which you, yeah. you're welcome to, to use. Some of the stuff is, is truly remarkable. I think that is that's particularly, yeah. particularly remarkable, as is Les's POW diary, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> Which is here. Oh, have we actually got it still? Yeah. Okay. On a, on a ten-year loan. Gosh. Take a, take a look at this. So this was the first POW diary that I'd ever seen, and since then we've got 20 or 30 more, I think, oh, right. in the archive. But, okay. Um, but, wow, I always think this one is yeah, it's so one of my favourites. It's quite robust, so have a look. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the story is that um, this was sent to some uh, a Canadian in the in the camp. Um, he was at Bellaria, wasn't he, Les? Oh wow! Um, and he he traded uh, some chocolate bars for it. Um, yeah, but it's it's partly how they how they pass the time. So there there are recipes and jokes and stories and the diary in it and all these drawings. That's fantastic. Yeah. I've no idea yeah. who she is. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to just look through the pages of this video. Again, this has all been transcribed and is all available in the archives. Brilliant. What a treasure. His was an incredible story as well because he was at Dunkirk. He was in the army before he joined the RAF. Okay. And this is his tribute. Amazing. To the escapees that were shot. Wow. I think it's beautifully done, isn't it? It is. Um, oh, that's amazing. When I was working with Dan's team, we um, reproduced the Christmas cake, didn't we? We did, yeah. There's a recipe for it cake made out of things that came in a Red Cross parcel. Yep. So the first job you have to do is you get the biscuits and you grind them back down into flour. Yep. Um, and then, you know, make some sort of icing with with sugar and, and clim powdered milk. Um, it wasn't a bad cake, was it? It, it tasted all right. It just went off quickly, didn't it? Yeah. All right. <laughs> it probably didn't last long in the prison, so... No, I would imagine no. <laughs> it was it was eaten pretty quickly. Yeah, if you've saved up weeks of ration to go into the thing. Yeah, mm. yeah. You can see it somewhere. I don't think it's that far back. So these recipes here are all ones that would be stuff that they're given in the parcels. Yeah, gosh, uh, it's just such delightful drawings. See if you can find the escape cartoon. Oh, that's the beginning. Yeah. Honest, it's at the beginning. 
But that Donald Duck, I wish I had wings. That's that's a bit of a meme. Uh, that I've seen that reproduced in lots of different okay. BMW logs. Okay. Um, I think Christian Alexander in Australia has just written a, a book about Kriegers and Australian experience, and uh, that's that comes up in her work, I think. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> for old German out in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Because that went on the long march as well. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, was Les on the march? He was on a march, it wasn't the no. No. long march, but yeah, I think. Yeah. I think he was sent along a long way in cattle trucks rather than. Yeah. I wonder how he even got the book in the first place. Didn't he swap, swap So, yeah. Um, a Canadian POW was sent that from the Canadian Red Cross, I think, and then he he swapped it for some uh, chocolate bars that he'd, he'd been saving. Okay. Um, but Les was a guitarist in in, in one of the bands in the in the POW camp. Okay. But yeah, the the stories of POWs is is a big thing. We have lots of material in the archive about POW life. Um, fairly early on in the project, we received a few hundred little Hems photographs Hemsworth. in the Hemsworth collection yes. of, of photographs of life in POW camps, including Stalag Bluff Three, and it was you know things like um, the plays that they put on um, yeah. and sports days yeah. and all sorts of things, and we were absolutely blown away. And it's, and it's odd because. Those photographs kept reappearing in different collections, yeah. didn't they? Right. We've we've got several copies of them now. Yeah, yeah. in different collections. But Hemsworth, he found them. Wasn't it in a jumble sale or a car boot sale? They were in a, in a in a a yellow Kodak box. Yep. And it was absolutely packed with all of these photographs. Wow. And he just looked at them and thought, "I've got to have these. Yeah, I've got to preserve these." Yeah. Oh, fantastic. It's amazing what they actually got up to and did in some of these camps. Oh, yes. As Pete says, we, we never know what's going to come in. Every now and then it will, it will feel like Christmas because the, you know, there's something new and wonderful and fantastic. Yeah. And what makes the archive, the IBCC digital archive, different to you know, other archives is the fact that we're getting to see things that have been preserved originally by the family members mm. and probably haven't been seen outside the family yeah. for 70, 80 years. Yeah. And they bring in a, you know, a shoebox that's been on top of a wardrobe yeah. for yeah. decades. And it's, yeah. Are you haven't had the stuff yet from uh, regarding a very young airman who was killed at a very young age. And there, were only, only a, there was his logbook a few letters and one or two photographs in this collection. Yeah. Um, the only two photographs of the airman himself, one as a cadet, where he looked about 14, yeah. and then qualified, I think he was a flight engineer. Um, and then there was a photograph of his girlfriend, who looked very, very young as well. Yeah. And going through the logbook, you get to the, the page with a red stamp, um, and then I was reading letters from the from his girlfriend Pauline, and there was a letter dated the twenty third of February, which says, "Hi Robert, not heard you fr from you for a while. I hope you're okay." Yeah. 
then you look at the logbook. He was killed on the 15th. Oh, gosh. You know, and that sent shivers down mm. my spine. Yeah. You know, that poor girl. We've got some letters in the archive that are, you know, in the event of my death, you know. Um, oh, yes. The, was it the Wilson letter? Yes, George Wilson's letter. Yeah. Um, this was, so at the end of the letter, he, you know, he's, he's married, he has children, um, and he's saying that, you know, no, he doesn't have children. He's married, and yeah. they were planning to have children. And he says to his wife, you, if I'm gone, you'll still be young, you'll still be beautiful, you should still marry and have kids. And she did, and it was her kids that brought this letter in. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they are quite upsetting, yeah. mm. some of the ones. that you, you do take them home, don't you? Yeah. 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 You know, but then there, there are the letters that, that really make you laugh out loud, like Peter Lamprey's. Yeah, Peter Lamprey was uh, was the extra crewman on 101 Squadron flying from Ludford Magna. Mm-hmm. So they were doing the radio countermeasures and he was a German speaker and it was his job to disrupt the Luftwaffe control. Yeah. Um, and what's different about his letters is whereas quite often somebody would be writing to their, their wife or their girlfriend or their mother and it was mostly, don't worry about me, I'm fine. He was writing to friends that he used to work with in London in the printing industry before he joined, before he joined up, and he he doesn't pull any punches. He says how bloody horrible it was. Right, right. Um, but his, his sense of humour was was wonderful. It must have been fabulous to a serve. Yeah, yeah. and it's all written in capital letters as well, it's so it's really <laughs> easy to transcribe and read. Yeah. Some of them, I remember one was a hundred new wafts turned up on station today. The chaps are getting choosy. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful, and I read so many of these letters. And uh, when they'd all been digitally preserved, I rang the owner who lives in Bridgewater in Somerset. And by this time, Peter Lamprey had got in here. Mm. Yeah, I felt I knew this man. Mm. Yeah, and I said, you know, I'm sending all the letters back to you. What happened to Peter Lamprey? And it was like being baseball batted when he said, "Well, you've read his last letter." Oh. He didn't yeah. come back. Oh, yeah, got the chop. It was awful. Yeah. Gosh. You know, this, doing this is an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, I can imagine. You get to be so worthwhile. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. So w- what was your background that brought you to this place? My father. My father was one of them. He was a flight engineer with 622 Squadron and then with 7 Squadron Pathfinders. And like so many... As a child, I would just ask him, what did you do? And all he said was, I was a flight engineer on bombers. That was it. Yep. Um, and I was very fortunate to discover that he'd written a secret memoir, oh. which I discovered 24 hours after he'd died. Oh, gosh. And everything he couldn't tell me, he'd written down 50 years after the war. Wow. That was quite an emotional evening reading that. I can imagine. Gosh. And I just do this in his memory and in the memory of all of them that didn't come back. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for what you guys do. It's incredible. It's a pleasure. It's a great honour for us as well. Yeah. This, this gallery is telling the story of the, of the home fronts. Um, the, the timeline around the outside is sort of... Um, works on different sort of themes rather than than being a timeline. Yep. So we're talking about you know the everyday life and working the factories and um, the links home. So we have some letters from the archive that are 
have, have been animated and are, are being read out by by voices. Um, okay. And these are shown on screens. Again, we have the telephone handsets. Yep. Um, a few little interactives for people to to work on. Um, and more of the more of the talking characters. So these these are all you know based on interviews again from the archive. Um, but these are home front stories. So the one that's talking at the moment is a, is a young lad who lived at the end of the runway. But there's there's a German fireman who tells a story about trying to pull a, um, a survivor out of the back of a crashed aircraft. Okay. Um, there's a, a German housewife that's describing you know what it's like being bombed. And a couple of people who work in the factories as well. Right. Right. Okay. And it's yeah, it's popular with uh, with the school kids. Yeah. This is this is quite an interesting graphic. It took quite a bit of work to to put together. Um, actually shows the the scale of the of the bombing. And you know, there's a tiny little illustration of a bomb that shows that the Luftwaffe dropped seventy four thousand tons of bombs on targets in in Britain. Um, yep. But it's over two and a half million tons that the British and Americans dropped on Europe. Wow. Yeah, largely in Germany, but yeah. You know, as I say, they dropped more in France and Italy than, than the Luftwaffe did in, in the UK. That's amazing. Yeah. Bit noisy in there with the school party. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's good to see school kids getting yes. an education, though, isn't it? And then this, this last gallery's got views over the over towards the spire. Oh yeah. Um, and it's sort of like coming from the dark into the light, and this is the, the 70, 80 years since the, since the end of the war. And it tells how bombing, com bombing command has been remembered and or forgotten. Right. So, um, again, we've got screens and text and, and interviews with people. Um, I quite like this one. Um, so this, this touch screen tells you know, stories that are important about the way that... Um, Bomber Quan's been remembered, so um, the radio comedy from Beyond the Fringe in the 1960s, and um, a really fascinating play um, called The Brill Cream Boys that oh, came yeah. out in, in 79. It's, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm trying to get a local theatre group to put on a production of this because it's absolutely fantastic. Right. I think you can you can just about find it on, on YouTube and. But the, the, the play's really, really good. Yeah, I believe I watched that. I found it year, a few years ago and yeah. it was great. Um, and then Len Dayton's Bomber and Airfix Models and um, yeah. the Dam Busters, which we've already talked about, yeah. and TV documentaries. Um, but we also talk a bit here about you know, the bombing of Dresden and the use of drones in warfare today. And, uh, it's it's a little bit tricky as spaces go because the first two galleries are effectively black boxes, which are brilliant for museum design because you can control the light and the sound. Yeah. But this you've got the sound bleed from from downstairs, downstairs yeah. um, the light coming in from both directions. Yeah. Um, but and as Pete said, we're we're currently trying to find funding to do a little bit of a refresh. Um, but okay. because we've now got much more of a digital archive than we had when we first started the project. Yep. I'm really quite excited because we're going to be able to bring in so much more Excellent. from the archive uh, into the exhibition. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the, just back on um, the cultural things that remember uh, Bomber Command during the war, one of the movies that sticks in my mind is uh, Appointment in London. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it tells the story of an ordinary squadron, not the yes. Busters, you know, and I just think it's one of the greatest movies yeah, ever yeah, made. It's, it's fantastic. Incredibly underrated, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And talking to the veterans, they tend to say that if you want to know what it's like, that's the nearest it's going to get to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 The, the, another one that was good as well, um, not so much Bomber Command, but um, there was Bombers, and that was... Uh, the Weight of the Stars, mm-hmm. and there was like Blenheim Bombers yeah. on an area base, and then the Americans turn up, and mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a good film as well. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the exhibition. Yeah. Fantastic. And the, the kids have followed us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.